Hey, so as you know, we're in the middle of this series, uh, Living Free, and um, actually, I kind of want to change it from calling it a series, because I think it's a lot more, uh, we're, we're implementing a culture, you know, we're implementing, yeah, uh, and the culture is really um, that spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable, Yeah. And so the culture is that we're going after this in our lives. Um, we desire freedom and wholeness in, in our lives, all right? And that's, what's, that's what God's doing in us uh, over this time, and, and that's beautiful. I'm really stoked uh, to be speaking this morning on this theme of going back to go forward. So where we look at the impact of our unhealthy baggage, you know, our junk, the stuff that we carry around, by uh, us really looking into our individual stories. Yeah, confronting our past um, so that we can fully allow Jesus to unlock our identity and our destiny. Sounds good, eh? Yeah. So we're breaking the power of the past this morning. And we're going to be tracking through the life of Joseph. Put your hand up if you know Joseph. Yeah, cool. He's a good dude. And uh, so identity. Identity kind of begets this question, who am I? All right. And destiny, that other word I mentioned, asks that question, where are we going? So as we look at the life of Joseph, I really, uh, I want to see if you can identify with him because there are things in your life and in my life that we have allowed to speak in to form our identity and our destiny that may be destructive. And as we track through his story and some of his forefathers, you can see these lines of destruction. You can also see lines of blessing, which is a beautiful thing. But the past, my past, your past, the past is not a respecter of persons, right? You are born into your lot. And it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't take that long before that stuff starts to catch up on you. Has anyone noticed that? Some of that stuff catches up on you. And uh, you don't have to look that far around you. You know, look at, look at Christian marriages. This is hard to talk to. The family backbone of our society is, is being corroded. Uh, Christian marriages statistically are collapsing. And, and what's wrong for the most part? For the most part, I really believe that we're just, we're not unpacking our lives. We're not dealing with our past. And it catches up on us. I, I, don't, this, I don't say, I'm sorry if I'm offensive this morning. Um, <laughs> but I have been surprised by some of the responses I've received about the living free uh, thing that we're doing. I'm not allowed to use that word series now. <laughs> no. um, I, these are some of the things I've heard is that, oh no, I've already dealt with all my stuff. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, sweet. Um, or I'm, I'm too old to go there now. Like, these are very real things. Uh, or um, actually, I've just seen some really defensiveness, like I'm guarding my family culture. This is who we are. Um, these are our traditions. Don't go there. Don't you dare go there. Um, or when can we get on to the more spiritual things? Um, there was less laughter about that one. <laughs> when can we get on? You know, only what's more spiritual about you know, what's more spiritual than being human? You know, wasn't Jesus human, 
and yet so spiritual, you know? Uh, so our fear is the thing that's really driving us, the fear of bringing some of the secret stuff, our family of origin issues, our woundedness into the light. And sometimes that means that we, um, we drive ourselves to, to prefer the illusions that we live in. Uh, illusions that, um, you know, if I don't think about it, it'll just somehow go away. Or the illusion that time is a great healer. Jesus is the healer. You know, unhealed wounds open us up to habitual issues and to blockages toward God and towards others, the flow of His grace in our lives. Young people these days, because um, I'm an old person now, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, this, this, this is a very generic statement, but they seem to be miles more insecure than they have been in past generations. And I, I just, it, it cuts me up. I've been an educated teacher. I've walked alongside a lot of young people in my life. What, you know, like, are we just going to keep going around these same generational cycles? We, we are damaged and we're wounded and it's not okay. And these things are compounding generation after generation. And our coping mechanisms, the things that are helping us or propping us up, they're only propping us up short term. You know, life, long term, they're, they're actually destructive. So I was really fortunate as a, as a young person. I was around 20 um, and I was facing up with some of my own coping me- mechanisms. Um, my wife, Olivia, and I went to a couple, Kathy and Fons Van Wemmel. Um, and they, they, scary Dutch couple, beautiful Dutch couple, um, but they, they took us on a journey of prayer and, and counsel, and they walked us through. And, and really, because of what they carried, and probably their own shame in my life, I couldn't even look them in the eyes at the time. Uh, but I got so free from the journey that we took with them. I've always described it as if I, it's like I got the power of my will back. You know, before that, I almost couldn't choose my decision-making faculty just wouldn't kick into gear. And so it was like that was returned to me. And then later on, um, when, when Livy and I came back from the UK, we were so blessed uh, on returning because my parents instigated a conversation with me, an ongoing conversation. And it went like this. Joss, if there's anything that you want to talk about, we're open to it. You know, your childhood, your upbringing, uh, who we were as parents, our family dynamics, the, anything, anything that wounded you, anything, um, the words spoken over you, uh, even stuff in their lives, in my parents' lives, that I had questions about, even before I was along on the scene. And because of that, that beautiful, sincere humility that they had, we ended up, we started a dialogue, an open dialogue that still remains to this day. Yeah, it's rare. It's very rare, and I want to honor my parents for that. Uh, they opened up a conversation that led to a lot of healing for both of us. Imagine if that was part of our culture. See, Joseph learned to live a life out of true identity, and in doing so, he allowed himself 
he, he derailed the destiny that he was going to be on. He, there was a trajectory that his life was going to be on, and, and he, he, he disestablished that. See, Jesus, Jesus, shows us, Jesus shows us this model, right? He's a healed person. He's a whole person. And my question for us this morning is, are we there yet? And I was challenged last week. Uh, I used the word sanctification. This is about transformation. When I actually looked into the root words of sanctification, where we get the word saint, sanctification is something that's imputed to you. It's happened for you at the great exchange, right? Your, your old nature for his. And so this is really about the appropriation of his blood to set you free. Free from the past, to heal your woundedness, and to allow wholeness to be developed in you. So we've got Moses. He wrote a whole bunch of... Uh, he wrote the Genesis account, and he, for some reason, he just took out heaps of space talking about Joseph. Has anyone noticed that? Joseph's life takes up a big chunk, a disproportionately large amount of Scripture. And so i got to wonder why. What is he trying to say through that? I'd like to propose that it's quite deliberate because Joseph's story really is a significant uh, entry point for us in understanding our identity. Looks like... Uh, him, un- you see, you see the hereditary line, and you see him unlock his his identity, the blessing of God in his life, um, and change what's going on from the past. So I kind of I need a hand uh, from you this morning because it's going to take a little bit uh, of tracking to get through this. Um, you engaged with me? Cool. Yeah. Okay. I'll start with a the joke then. Where's Where's the first tennis match? mentioned in the Bible. No? Uh, when Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. What? Yeah. Come on. Uh, <clears throat> All right. So uh, for the majority of us, all, all, all we really know about Joseph's life is he had this sweet-ass technicolor dream coat, right? And that's about the extent of it. But um, I, I really believe that what's written about Joseph is true for you and I. Uh, because he, he's an heir to the promise, this new covenant promise given to Abraham, and he's a type of Christ, he's in the lineage of Christ. And even when things seem to be impossible for him, God still fulfills his covenant promise on his life. And he fulfills his covenant promise to humanity. So uh, I guarantee you want to unlock your identity this morning, and you want to unlock your, your destiny. And so let's find out more about this guy. Here's a, here's a brief synopsis. Man, if OT uh, knew about this guy's family. Um, so Abraham, Joseph's great-granddaddy, uh, God promised Abraham a son. And although they were impotent uh, and he had a prior son, Ishmael, with Hagar, his wife's servant, ultimately a sex slave, his wife, Sarah, eventually has a son that God had promised. Right? Isaac's 91 years old and God blesses Ishmael, his first son, with 12 sons, and they eventually become the Arab race. But Isaac receives the inherited covenant promise. Isaac then goes on to have twin sons, right, with his wife Rebecca, and they were Esau and Jacob. Uh, Esau was set to receive the inheritance as the oldest boy, um, but Jacob, whose name means deceiver, and his mum, who obviously had a favorite son, uh, 
tricked Esau out of it. And Esau then wants to kill Jacob. Uh, so Jacob is forced to exile in Canaan and he goes to find his uncle Laban. Esau then uh, becomes the ancestor to the Amalekites and you can see the battles that go on there and the Idiomites. So it's like pretty epic family line of distrust, deceiving, treachery, lies, and uh, try to kill each other. Exodus 34.7 says this, that God visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And you really see that track down, that the, the sins of the forefathers carry on generation after generation. In Romans uh, chapter 5 through 7, Paul argues that sin and death are a corporate problem. They're rather than an individual problem, right, rather than me and my issues, they're a corporate problem in that he tells us that one man's sin, first Adam, brought guilt for all people. And then Romans uh, 5.18 says, sin entered the world because of one man's sin, and death came because of that sin. See, this is, this is why each one of us remains a slave to sin unless we're set free by the redemptive work of Jesus. And so generational curses and our inheritance goes back uh, to the work of our first parents, the first parents. You were in Adam, and he chose to set, step out from under God's covering, under, out from underneath his blessing. And the consequences became yours. Uh, you, were, you were condemned with him. But that's not the end of the story, eh? Yeah. Praise God. So God builds into this, uh, this Hebrew culture. They become the Hebrew culture. And he builds in these structures and these mechanisms that celebrate the loosing of blessing into their lives and oppose the binding of cursing. And so really these flow down generational lines. Um, cursing is kind of a biblical language, which really means like it short circuits the grace of God, God, the flow of God's grace. And so there's seven biblical times uh, that we receive blessing or cursing in our lives. So they are conception, in utero, mum's tum, birth, infancy, puberty, marriage, and older age. And in this culture, they actually have ceremony and they have tradition and they have things built around it to celebrate the coming of age or the blessing that's passed on during that significant time of life. And blessing restores identity and destiny. It imparts God's glory, whereas cursing robs us of both our identity and our destiny and it actually causes shame. Yet God intended that each and every one of us, each and every person on the face of this earth would be permeated with a sense of His glory. And that glory, uh, you could define it as like having dignity or um, a sense of value, um, acceptance before God, legitimacy. Blessing of identity imparts God's glory. And yet on the other hand, Cursing of identity uh, really delivers the opposite of glory. It delivers shame. And shame looks like a that lack of identity, lack of dignity, lack of wholeness. Um, I feel unaccepted. I feel illegitimate. 
And God's purpose in your life is to impart glory through blessing. But the enemy, the deceiver, his purpose is to shame you through cursing. And until you learn to go to your father, the father, and check out the truth of your identity, then the messages, you know, from all the messages that are coming at you through life, then uh, you kind of continually find yourself slipping back in. Uh, well, to idolatry. The Bible calls it idolatry. And anytime we grant someone other than Jesus the authority to tell us who we are, that are made in the image and likeness of Christ, then we actually give that person God-like characteristics. Little g. We've granted that person the position that belongs only to Jesus. Because he alone is uniquely qualified. He alone can determine my identity and destiny. And in this way, uh, we have allowed, we have let other people determine who we are. And we often fight in the flesh to save our own heart from the implications of those messages. Let's track on with Joseph's story. So uh, Jacob meets this chick at the well. Her name's Rachel. He falls in love mainly because she's hot. And he finds out that his un- uh, she's actually his uncle's youngest daughter. Nothing odd there, eh, cuz? Uh, and... Um, He goes on to work for him for seven years so he can marry her. Uh, But Laban gets this. He tricks Jacob and he gives his oldest daughter, Leah. And so he then goes on to work for another seven years. That's 14 years all up. Maths. um, To earn Rachel. And so this guy, you know, he's super keen on her, right? Um, But he's also been very humbled. 14 years of hard labor. And, and now his character has been challenged a lot. And uh, uh, although it's taken a while, um, God actually encounters him in this amazing way. And he renames him from Jacob to Israel twice, twice, until the identity starts to sink in, starts to stick. But he, Jacob, carries this inherited covenant promise from Abraham. And so Jacob returns to Canaan, the land promised to his forefathers, and he goes on to have 12 sons right? But he has them to four different wives. Well, two were his wives, two were servants of his wife, concubines, uh, who his wives gave to him as wives. Yeah. Needless to stay, there's still a fair amount of like pagan action going on. And, um, and <laughs> this family line, you know, like polygamy is now part of this family line. But they, they actually don't know any better at this stage. Um, it's not until the Mosaic Covenant at Sinai kicks in to gear that, that God really lays it out for the Israelites. Um, but the effects of the iniquities are still the same. See, even if they're ignorant, um, there's still this hereditary thing going on. The, uh, the, the unmerited favor that Abraham had, where God calls this random dude, pagan guy, out in the middle of the desert, and he goes, hey, believe in me, because of your faith, I'll, I'll call you righteous. Uh, because of that, God's not actually counting any of their sins against them at this stage. Right? So it's not, not necessarily an offense between them and God. They still have access to him, old covenant. 
but it's still wreaking havoc generation after generation. Yeah? So watch this next bit. Jacob, he really loves Rachel. And uh, Jacob was 91 uh, when Joseph was born to Rachel. Joseph was the youngest son for like ages. Um, he, he was the oldest born of Rachel. And therefore he was going to receive the inherited promise, the firstborn son inheritance. Uh, even though his oldest brother was Reuben. But because he was Leah's boy, it just gets messy, eh? Rachel, Rachel actually dies giving birth to the, the uh, 12th son, Benjamin. Um, so yeah, we go. That's their, that's their family line. We're all caught up. Oh, hang on. Um, Jacob, Jacob also went on to have a bunch of concubines. And his eldest son, Reuben, who I just mentioned, slept with one of them, probably despite him because he loved Joseph more, got him that sweet coat. Um, yeah, it's quite uncomfortable. But these are the patriarchs of our faith. We sing songs about these guys. Father Abraham, many sons. Yeah, to a bunch of different women. Um, and I don't, I don't mean that dishonoringly because like, in God's grace, he like re-scripts it all and he's like, he was a man of faith. Yeah? Okay, but that's the family line. And you, you could probably relate to it at this stage, right? Uh, have a look at your own family structure and your own dynamics. Um, there's probably some glaring character flaws there too. And, uh, you know, we could go deeper into this. You could look at the consequences. You know, look at, look at uh, Ishmael, Esau, Reuben. Those consequences uh, eventually affect nations that we live in right now. They, they have set into play destructive identities and dis- destinies that are still rolling. The great, the, great, um, the great problem, of course, is that when our own families, uh, you know, our, the invisible scripts of our families are contrary to Christ. And so you see the deception, the favoritism, the adultery that are passed on. They're kind of deeply embedded in our DNA. I don't know if life's in the blood, but the result can be really tragic especially if we don't face our past. And so, I mean, the Bible's really adamant about cutting the apron strings. Um, <laughs> who is my father and mother, Jesus said. You know, that was countercultural, but what he was saying is, that's not my inheritance. Uh, and yet the whole way through Scripture, God is known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he seems to claim them because it's about His grace working in and through their lives. There is a t- tipping point, though, for each of them. There is a tipping point. They, they stood on this vague trajectory uh, in their lives of surrender to Yahweh. And there is a deep transformation um, that appears. And, and I want to pull this out, because it's, it's really obvious in Joseph's life. Um, but we... Um, You've got to wonder, why did God bless him? Hey, like this is the best that humanity had to offer. <laughs> why did God bless him? Uh, he was the favored son and heir to the covenant of Abraham. See, I reckon Joseph, it's hard to tell, but I reckon he had a lot of time for silence and solitude with God. I mean, he was in the prison for a long time. You know, It seems that he knows God. Uh, he knows that God's good. He knows that God's working. 
You know, Joseph had a lot of years pondering this stuff with God, much like David in the wilderness. And, and he seems to break free from a lot of his past. He becomes a blessing to bless the nations. Look at this. This is Genesis 50. This is really significant. I think this reveals what has happened in his life. Genesis 50 verses 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong that we did to him? Remember, they uh, threw him down the well, sold him into slavery, went to the father and, you know, took his many-coated, many-colored coat to the father, spilled it with the blood of a goat and pretended that he was dead, right? So that's what they're talking about. What if he holds a grudge against us for all of that? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what, uh, what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when this message came to Joseph, he wept. We don't know if his father actually said that, whether they're trying to deceive him again. They might actually be lying. But this is, this is the powerful part. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow, that, that shows a transformation in his heart, right? That he can forgive all the wrong done to him. What a, what a work God must have done. See, I really, uh, Joseph learns who he is, his new identity. And he had a vision for his destiny. He was, uh, he was firmly grounded in the knowledge of the blessing handed on from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet, uh, he doesn't block the flow by allowing the issues of his heart to ensnare him. See, when, when cursing of identity came, he didn't allow it to deeply wound him, his heart. He could have. He, he could have erected a wall around his heart, right? So he didn't get hurt more his whole family betrayed him you know and unfortunately um, a lot of us do that a lot of us uh, we put walls up right protective shells and, and they're meant to they're meant to block out more hurt but they're indiscriminate in that they actually also prevent the love of others from entering our heart they block the flow of God's grace See, love, love can really only be received if we take some risk. You know, there's risk that I'm going to be hurt again. And that protective shell uh, towards other people is pulled back. That, that shell keeps our hearts from receiving the love of God. As well as from other people around us. And this shell kind of creates this resistance to God's love, which is uh, it's, it's usually not very evident to the one who it's operating in. It's probably evident to the rest of us around about. (laughs) 
But the result is that when I cry out for God for help or for healing or for love, it actually seems that it's falling on deaf ears. Why, why is God not hearing my cries? The truth of the matter is that God is trying to get his love through to you, but without realizing it, we're resisting him because of that shell, the walls that we've put around our lives. You know, um, you know when a car battery, right, um, gets that corrosion around the, thanks, terminal. Um, you know, the rings that connect it to the cable, you know, it's resistive and actually prevents the battery power from reaching the starter. And uh, you might think that by clinging to that shell, you're protecting yourself from others, uh, from their poison, right, or whatever. But that shell, that resistive corrosion uh, is actually the primary force that, that keeps our hearts from God. It's, it, it keeps us in fear, from, fear from being hurt again. The Bible says in 1 John 14, 8, that perfect love casts out fear. See, there is, there is one source of per- perfect love, and we've just gone through this 1 John series, God. <laughs> God is perfect love. And, and God is trying to love each and every one of us. However, uh, fear itself is the emotion and the force that prevents God's love from penetrating and, and that resistive shell. So we find ourselves stuck, right? We find ourselves stuck in generational cycles. Iniquity or the consequences. It says here in Romans 5.19, One man, Jesus, did obey. And that is why many people will be made right with God. How do we get out from under this curse? Well, you have already been grafted into the family tree. See, the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote this 600 years before Christ. He wrote this. In those days, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes, but the children have a bitter taste in their mouths. Instead, everyone will die for their own sins. The one who eats sour grapes will taste how bitter they are. St. Jeremiah 31. Man, that's crazy scripture. So you know, like, maybe you feel like you have an inability to receive love from people or love from God. I wonder why that is. You know, the primary way that healing comes to our wounded hearts is through taking a risk. It, it involves pulling down the walls and opening up our hearts to people in a safe environment. You know, that, the, that deep and intimidating fear of the enemy, uh, he uses it to, to keep us boxed in, right? Keep us, keep our eyes set on the rejection and like, oh, I don't want to expose myself publicly and I'll be ridiculed. But actually, when you do that in the right context, when you make yourself vulnerable in the right context, under the anointing of God, the opposite is true. 
James 5, 16 says, confess your shortcomings or your inherited junk to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. See, what reveals this heart transformation in Joseph is that he, I mean, he goes from being this cocky, smug, bling coat, dream coat, punk kid uh, to having some like, he has some wins, you know, that reveal his heart posture, the change in him. You know, somehow he keeps his dream alive. He doesn't lose sight of it. Even when he's in the prison, uh, he rejects the temptation. You know, he runs away from Potiphar's wife. He avoids disappearing into obscurity. Um, he, you know, like previously he had dreams, but he didn't have an interpretation for them. And you see him in prison interpreting other people's dreams. And possibly, as I said, as we read before, the most remarkable thing is that he forgives his brothers. He shows love to them. In fact, he blesses them. In fact, because of that, they become the nation that they are, the 12 tribes. See, he still, Joseph, doesn't find his identity in those things, but they do, they reveal, they reveal his heart. Your, your, your identity is not based in who you do. It's not based in, in, in who you are. It's established in whose you are. Somehow God determined that Joseph, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, would be a blessing to be a blessing to be a blessing. And that's your future. That's what God intends for each one of you. Each one of us is that we would be a blessing to the generations that come. But it takes us facing up to some of our past. It takes us uh, confronting some of the hand-me-down junk, the lies, the destructive identities, so that we can get free. Let's, let's stand together. We're going to go into a, a time of communion. Because we all know that it's Jesus' blood that set us free, right? And we're appropriating that blood right now. So when you, when you come to take His blood and His body, bring that, bring that to the foot of the cross and bring that between you and your past. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. We, we, we need your life, God. We need your life to interrupt the destruction of the past and to set us on a new course of identity and destiny. 
to set us on a journey of being healed from the wounds of our forebearers. Even from the stuff that happened to us in childhood. Reparent us, Father. Reparent us. It's going to take some surgery. It's not glamorous. But if you're willing to go there, man, there's freedom to be had. There is a wholeness that you've longed for, you've yearned for, to feel content in the moment and fulfilled because you know whose you are. Jesus, I pray that you would break chains this morning from our past, things that anchor us to the old nature, things that anchor us to our family lineage. Restore us into the blessing of your lineage.